Hey guys, what's up and welcome to another episode of the Gardifax Podcast. I am Gary Atkinson and I am a visual creator and artist here and author here in Raleigh, North Carolina. And <clears throat> I'm just here back again to share a little bit about my experiences and hopefully they will be something that will help propel some success in your life. Um, and hopefully they'll help propel some success in my life too. And that's what I'm looking for. You know, I'm looking for that positive energy, transferring that positive energy to you and you transfer it right back to me. Um, so tell me what's been going on in your life. I know for me, I've really been in a, a state of reflection. I've been thinking about the past, thinking about the future. And I've been writing, I've been writing so much on my new novel. So if you are interested in learning about that novel, be sure to stay tuned. Go ahead and subscribe to Gardafax. Go to Gardafax.com, subscribe, and subscribe to this podcast as well. I just want to um, share with you guys today a little bit about being in a situation, an environment, uh, a position where I felt like I needed to get out. And hopefully you're not in a situation like that, but if you are, I want to share a little bit about my story. Okay, so hopefully you guys didn't hear my dog just do a huge sigh in the back over there, but she's going through some things. <clears throat> and let's get started. So I'm going to share my story. These are the signs that really convinced me to take my exit from my stuck situation and the strategy that I took to remove myself. Okay, this is the story of my first job out of college. I went to college at NC State and I studied design there. And then I went right into getting my master's in textiles. So somewhere along this process, even though I'm creative and I love to create products that are unique and they really speak to a person the way that um, my products do. My, my paintings and any product that I'm going to be involved in. This is my passion. So somewhere along the line, I felt uncertainty creep in. And that's when I decided I'm going to do school some more. And then these, these were kind of voices from me, but also voices from other people. Hey, Gary, you should do graduate school because I know you want to do your t-shirts and, and your, your art and all that stuff, but this will be a way for you to get some money, get um, a grant maybe and, and do your thing. Right. These are the voices that I was listening to. And somewhere along the line, because I listened to those voices, I got distracted from my goal. <clears throat> and I fixed my mind at some point to think that shoe design was what I was the most passionate about. And I'm talking about corporate shoe design, like working for a Nike or a Adidas or a Reebok or one of those big brands that, um, that was my ticket. That was not really what I was passionate about though. I wasn't being honest with myself. Um, and I'll tell you, I had a, a really rough time 
because I was faced with a lot of uncertainty. I'd reached out to a lot of contacts in the footwear industry and I just couldn't quite break through. Uh, I made some really good connections and I was working these jobs while I was doing school. I actually did an internship with a local shoe manufacturer and my friend Kieran and um, I did a design internship as well with a, um, a designer who was based here in the Raleigh area. Another thing that I did was, um, you know, I just, I just worked, even if it wasn't a job that was particularly a job, I just worked, I had that job experience. And <clears throat> this is at a time where, you know, I was in college, so I, quite, I wasn't quite independent, you know, I'm working off of a, a student loan and that's paying for my school and all this stuff. And then I, in grad school, I actually was living with my parents for a while. So I was living there and then I just really needed to be independent. Uh, that's what I was feeling. Um, so I, I wasn't hearing back from these companies, from these shoe companies that I really felt like I belonged at. And that was really frustrating for me. But my focus then was to better myself, to be independent and to get some experience and one day be able to land my dream job, what I thought was my dream job. So I decided I'm just gonna take the first job that I can get that's somehow related to textiles. And this is how I got my first job out of graduate school at a major textile um, manufacturer and they made fabric. So I ended up at this, my first corporate job here and we'll just call them Texco. And at this company, I did an interview and you know, I, I presented the parts of myself that, um, you know, I mentioned how creative creativity is my passion and I love um, creating products, creating designs. And when it came to my salary, I, I really wasn't even prepared for for that. I accepted a salary that was way less than what I deserved. I mean, I had work experience and I had graduate school, so I deserved a salary more than I took, but I said, I actually am going to take this because I need to have some type of job that's in the sexual industry and I need to be working towards that goal. This was not the right position for me. And I'm going to tell you how I figured out this was not the right position and the steps I took to get out of that situation. So first, the first red flag for me was that I was noticing discriminatory practices from this company. Once I started working at the company, I quickly realized that there was a latent discrimination policy there. What I mean by that is people on the floor, there was a manufacturing floor and then there's an office. In the office, I was the only black person that was working in the office. That was a little to me isolated, even though all the people there I really got along with and I made some really good friends there. Um, 
and one of my friends, Janie, um, is a friend that I still stay in contact with. Um, but as far as um, a workplace setting, I feel like diversity is really important. And this, for me, it led to other things. One of those things was the people on the manufacturing floor, there were there was um, kind of a, you could kind of see the line. You could see who communicated with who and who didn't like communicating with who. So there was, you know, black, Hispanic, white workers there. And because a white worker might not want to talk to this black worker or this black worker might not want to talk to this um, Hispanic worker or whatever it might be, you could kind of see that that was affecting the workflow. And whenever there was a disagreement on the manufacturing floor, the upper management was not diverse. So upper management, they would always side with the people that were, um, you know, not black or Hispanic. If there, if that was that type of uh, situation. And I noticed that because people would tell me, you know, people on the manufacturing floor, they would let me know, but I also just kind of felt the energy whenever um, those disagreements happened. But another thing for me that was a sign of that latent discrimination policy was after I started working at this company, they initiated a random drug testing policy. And this was not present before I started. So this was maybe about a month or so in. And even though this random, uh, this drug testing policy was supposedly random, I was chosen to do this drug test back to back to back. So three out of three times, I was the, again, the only black person working in the office area. And I was chosen to do this random drug test three times. Now, one thing about me is this was my first job out of, college and I'm hardworking. So I show up to work on time every day and I overperform. Um, I, I would never show that I would never show up to work intoxicated or under the influence of anything. That's just not the type of person I am. But, um, you know, after I took this drug test the first time I said, okay, you know, the second time I'm like, okay, this is kind of weird. And I even had a manager, that came up to me after I, you know, or maybe I was on my way to doing the drug test. And he said, you know, this system is uh, a random thing. It's just, we just put the names in the computer and they, they give us what pops out. And I, I felt that that was kind of one of those things where he feels guilt that he has to communicate that to me, you know, to make this, this excuse. But, you know, to be chosen three out of three times to do a random drug test, that was a sign that I was being psychologically bullied. I knew I couldn't maintain my sanity in that situation. Okay, so moving on, another sign that I saw that this was an unhealthy situation for me is that this was a negative atmosphere for a lot of my coworkers. And that meant that because of the personality that I have, I was assigned to be a problem solver. What I mean by that is I noticed a lot of times I would 
have these coworkers that would come up to me. They would be working on the manufacturing floor and they would come up to me. And because I was, um, I was not dismissive of them. Like some people might've been, they would ask me to listen to their personal problems. And I think it's great that people feel comfortable enough around me to, to share these things. However, it got to be to a point where it was really impossible for me to balance my duties and my part-time job as a psychiatrist. I mean, people would come to me with their relationship issues. There was even an incident where someone was working and they, they had um, a relationship with a coworker and then somewhere within that relationship, they got back with their wife and then they, they were asking to use my office phone to call their wife. It was really chaos there. Um, so I knew that I, I couldn't be the psychiatrist every day if I'm dealing with my own psychological problems, you know, with these, these random, um, you know, incidents where I'm seeing this latent discrimination and things like that. And I also wasn't really fulfilling my purpose, my creative purpose. So, you know, solving other people's problems that, that just wasn't quite for me, um, on an everyday, everyday, um, schedule. But the third sign is bigger than all the other signs. These three signs, they were um, three different car incidents that happened to me while I was working at this job. So this is about to get really exciting. Okay, so the first time I had a car accident on my way to work, it was an icy day. It was right after um, it snowed and there was ice out I was driving, um, but I was driving safely. But this day there, I tried to stop right before I got, um, there was a, a stop, a stoplight and I tried to stop and I didn't, I slid on that ice and I was a little shaken up, but the car, you know, I had some issues with the car. I had some damage to the car. It was repairable though. This time, you know, the car was repairable. I was able, I was not harmed or anything like that, I was okay. So that was a blessing. Um, but maybe a month or so later, I had a second car accident. And this time I was actually coming from work. I was driving on highway 85, coming back to Durham where I lived at the time. And I remember a van got, um, it, it suddenly got in front of me. It was getting into my lane and you know, there we were going to make a, a, um, collision. But I decided to react quickly and to avoid that collision. And my car actually hit a guardrail. So I didn't hit the car. You know, I didn't get hit by the van, but my car did a complete spin after I hit that guardrail. I avoided any contact with other cars. So that was a blessing there. But I was really shaken up. I was, I remember calling my sister. I was pretty much hysterical. You know, my, my sister and my mom showed up. And, um, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. My car was actually totaled and this one ended up in my car, not being repairable. And this actually, because I didn't have gap insurance at this time, it really negatively affected my credit score. So, uh, my wife and I, I mean, my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, who's now my wife, Ayana, we, we, you know, sat down and, 
um, you know, I was figuring this thing out and I knew that I had to get a rental car because I needed to go back to work, right? So I used my car insurance to get a rental car and I went back to work and this is the first day that I'm going back to work. I'm driving up Highway 85. I was driving in Vance County in North Carolina. So I was driving in Oxford, North Carolina. And this is when I saw a cop car come up behind me. So I'm driving an uh, you know, Acura or whatever it might be, a white Acura. And this cop is behind me, but they don't have their sirens on. So I'm thinking, okay, something might be wrong, but you know, maybe I'm good. I'm doing the speed limit. I, was, I still was nervous though. At this point, the officer puts his sirens on. I pulled over to the left and I found out that that was a bad idea. Okay, so I pulled over to the left and the cop comes up to my car. I have my license and my my license out and um, you know my rental information and all that. And the cop comes up, he's already really upset. I can see he's, you know, shaking. The first thing he does is he yells to me. He's like, you know, I remember saying, boy, um, get out of the car. And he told, he called me a boy. He told me to get out of the car. And, you know, I was not combative because I, at this point, you know, this is 2012, you know, it's my first job out of school. And I had incidents with police officers before, but I just knew that being calm was the way to deal with the situation. But this, um, you know, him referring to me as a boy, that just kind of really threw me off. So I'm, I actually was in the back of his cop car. He told me to get in the back of his cop car and I hadn't done anything wrong. I hadn't done any anything illegal to warrant that. But it was almost like I had an... You know, I took myself out of the situation just to survive it. And that, um, I guess to survive that mentally, but also who knows what I, what would have happened if I were to, you know, talk back to him. So I got in the back of the cop car. He did not, I remember from what he said that he did not, um, assume that that car belonged to me. You know, he, called the rental company and um, he also he was going to check to see whether I was um, the rightful owner of that car. I told him that it was a rental. I told him, you know, I showed him my license and all this stuff. Everything was valid. And I let him know that I was on my way to work. I thought I guess he thought that I must have been doing something wrong. I'm, you know, drug trafficking. you know, stealing a car. I don't know what it was, but he really treated me, um, really badly. You know, he, he, it, I felt like he was harassing me in a way, you know, you don't, you really don't refer to, you know, another man as boy, but I guess that was the mode that he was on. So I just kept my mouth shut. You know, I took my ticket and what I learned was I wanted to know what I did wrong. So after asking him, you know, what I did wrong, if, if I even did that, or if I looked at the ticket, I'm not sure which one happened, but the reason why he was upset was I was not getting out of his way. 
So we were both in the left lane, but I should have got into another lane so he could go faster. That was what his thinking was. And allegedly, or apparently that is some type of traffic law. It was something that I'd never heard of, but I was going the speed limit in that lane and you know, he, he was not happy with that. I was really frustrated because I wanted to, I knew that no one at, in the office where I was going to work could relate to that incident and me sharing that incident with someone else, they wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't under, be able to process that because, you know, I'm the only black person in this um, office setting. And, you know, I just felt like I should be able to relate to that, relay that information to someone. I also felt like, you know, why is why does this even happen? Why did they even happen? So that was my third sign that, you know, after those two car accidents and then this, because I had a rental car, I knew that I needed to get out of this situation. Okay. So after having all these things happen, you know, noticing the signs of the, my workplace issues, um, noticing these issues with me traveling to or from this area, I knew that there was something there that I needed to do to get myself out of that situation. I just felt like if I keep going to this job every day in Henderson, North Carolina, um, that is not feeding my spirit, that there is something that's going to happen that's even worse than everything else I've experienced. You know, the car accidents were pretty bad. You know, being harassed by that police officer, that was pretty bad. And, uh, you know, feeling like I was being psychologically tormented, that was pretty bad. But I felt like there was something there saying, wait till you see what's next. Um, if you don't get yourself out of this situation, it's going to be even worse. So I, I said, I've got to find an exit strategy. And I needed to put in that notice. I got to put in my two week notice and get out of here. That's what I said. Um, and I needed to exercise three things. And those were my skills, my passion and my support system. And for me, luckily I had all those things right there around me. So I, at this point I was work, living with my girlfriend at the time who is now my wife, Ayana. We were living in Durham and we were there and I, I just, I told her, you know, I, I talked with her and I said, this is, uh, breaking me down, you know, I need to get out of here and I need to quit my job. And she understood. Now at this point, um, actually recently I talked to her and she doesn't remember us having this conversation. She just remembered me saying that I quit. So maybe I did that. I'm not sure, but I feel like I communicated this with her, but if I didn't, I please, uh, please do communicate with your people. So what I did was I said, listen, I'm going to, freelance and I'm going to just figure things out. So I put in my two week notice at work and I remember them asking me, uh, you know, the vice president of the company, I remember him asking me, you know, what are you going to do? What do you, what are you going to do next? And HR person, you know, what are you going to do next? Do you have another job? And I said, no, I'm just going to do something creative. And they 
I'm sure they probably looked at me like, you know, what's going on with you? Are you, are you crazy? But I knew that staying there for me would be crazy. So at this point, I started to go on uh, freelance websites and I started to do some graphic design. I said, I'm going to do some logos, do some uh, whatever I have to do creatively to earn some income. And that's what I'm going to do. So I went online and um, I started going to Elance, uh, which is now Upwork. And I started doing these jobs. I did a job where one that was really fun was I, I did storyboarding. I did visual storyboarding for someone who was doing a script. Uh, I did logos. I did any type of creative project you can name. And I also did some drawing at this point for um, for a another illustrator as well. So I really was uh, flexing my creative muscles and I was really passionate about this. So another thing that I was doing was I was creating as an artist and as an entrepreneur. I had this character that I've been drawing while I was in college and I didn't have any purpose for that character. But at this point I said, why don't I use this character to create something that I'm passionate about? And that is learning through creativity. I'm very passionate about showing people that you can learn through pictures and, and learning is exciting if you make it exciting. So what I decided to do with Fundo after I gave him that name is I uh, decided I'm going to do a children's book that's going to teach kids the alphabet in a fun and engaging way. And my wife and I, we collaborated on that children's book and it's called Fundo's Animal Alphabet. And you can check out more of that at fundopress.com. You can see the full catalog of, catalog of products that we've created from that. So that is a, a great um, result of me stepping out there. And I also did some artwork that was inspired by uh, a Jay-Z album. I did some artwork that was inspired by things that I'd read. Um, and you can see pictures of that stuff at artifacts.com and on this blog. And um, they'll also be available for purchase soon. I'm gonna bring those back up and put those back on Gardifacts. Um, but the moral of the story here is that I, I really couldn't do these things if I didn't have that support and that trust from my wife, my girlfriend at the time, uh, my wife now, Ayana, and she really helped to um, help me to step out there, you know, going and quitting your job is not really easy. It's not a, um, not a fun process to think about. But at that point for me, because I was in an unhealthy situation, I knew that that was the decision that I was confident in making. So hopefully this is helpful for you. If you are in an unhealthy or an unwelcoming environment or position or circumstance, you need to get out of there to protect your own sanity. You gotta use your skills, your passion, and your support system to help you get out there immediately. And the beautiful thing is there's there's going to be something awesome that comes out of whatever it is that you create, and it's going to help so many other people. And if I can help you in any way, just let me know. Reach out to me, and I will talk to you guys on the next episode of the Gardafax podcast. Till then, check out Gardafax.com, 
and let me know what you thought about this episode. Peace.